The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. I want to talk about today, not only about the forgiveness of our sins, but the power of the cross opens up to us a whole territory, if you will. If you want to think of it in terms of like a whole pasture, or like in the Old Testament, it called it a promised land. And I want to kind of make an analogy between the promised land in our Christian life today and kind of just paint this picture for you. Um, you know in the Old Testament that Moses dies. They're standing at the, the brink of the Jordan. And Joshua's in command now. And all of a sudden, the Jordan parts. And it's amazing. Everybody says, oh, God is with Joshua just like he was with Moses. And they walk across on dry ground, it says. It's very similar to how we were completely lost and away from Christ. And he opens up a way in our understanding to say, I am a sinner. I have lived in rebellion to God. I have not even considered that God made me and he's got a plan for my life. I've been lost out here in the wilderness. But he opens up our understanding. And then we come into this new place. We begin to take possession of it. And there, right before us, is a fortified city that says, no way. There is no resource, no power, nothing you have can defeat this wall in Jericho. It's so thick. It's monumental. Just like our sins, when we come to this awareness that sin and what we've done our lives, it seems impossible. In fact, there's no resource on our own that can take care of our sin. Instead, God tells the people of Israel, go march around it and then shout my praise. Just trust me with this one. Just trust me. You're not going to have to fight this battle. And that's the same with you. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your own works, nothing you can do will ever merit your forgiveness. You can't wash away all your sins by being good today. But Jesus, by dying on the cross and using the resources of heaven, God's only son, can wash, you away, wash all your sins away. And the, the victory is astounding. Then if you follow along in the story of Israel, the next thing they come to is a city called Ai, A-I. And they get, uh, let me put it in better terms, whipped. They get, they get a, 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 a real whipping, okay? They get taken out to the shed, you know, and they get a, they get a good hit. And what is happening here? God is bringing difficulties to purify our hearts. He, in, in the battle of Jericho, somebody went and took an idol and buried and kept it to himself and took some other devoted things. And God says, no, this is not the way it's going to be in the promised land. This is not the way I have for you. I'm not going to allow your faith to be mixed up with all these other spiritual wicky-wacky stuff. I want a pure faith in you. I want one that rests on God. I want when victories come to you, you say, God did it. Not this or that or this or that. But it's solid and it's strong. And so he purifies our faith through difficulties. This is our walk in Christ. But even when we face difficulties, we're still possessing the land. 
The enemy wants to come and say, oh, you're facing this battle again. You've got this difficulty again. You got this again. Look at you. You're not like so-and-so. Da-da-da. I remember Penny one time gave a testimony and said all her life she felt she wasn't a good Christian. She wasn't like so-and-so. wasn't like this. And then the revelation that the father loved her as a daughter broke everything free for her. There are more and more beautiful things in your salvation. And Jonathan referred to it as that wonderful word sanctification and all these big, nice theological words. But basically it means God didn't stop loving you when he saved you from your sin. He still has beautiful things. And he's not leaving you back at Jericho to say, now go take care of the land all by yourself. Take all possession of the land. He's saying, I am with you and I'm going with you. This is a beautiful picture of our Christian life. There's a lot of analogies that could be made. You could even talk later on about the Gibeonites and how they were tricked. The enemy does try to trick us sometimes, try to bring us down. But even in this story, after the Gibeonites, and if you don't know the story, I mean, you could go in depth for weeks on some of these things. But what happened is the people of Israel are going in. They're taking more possession of land after I, and the Gibeonites come and trick them. They dress up in old clothes. They say, yeah, we're from far away. We just want to make peace with you. You know, we're not, we don't live here, but, you know. And they make a treaty, and it says, right, in, in, in the book, it says, but Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. Ooh, that's the one bit. In fact, I tell you this. This is just a, a side note. This is a, a special gift for you today. When you're reading the scriptures, anytime you hear or see, they sought the Lord. They inquired of the Lord on this matter. You know that the position of the heart of the people at that time is good. They have either had an encounter with God, they've either been struck by his holiness, his wonder, his goodness, his blessing, or they've been struck by the massive fear that, oh, we got to treat this guy right. But when they say they inquired of the Lord, take note of it, because it means something is going right. In fact, at the end of Joshua's life, in the beginning of the book of Judges, it says when Joshua died, the people inquired of the Lord. And then the rest of the book, sadly, is decline. But, but it started good. Their hearts were to, to be focused on God. When a problem came, they focused on God. That's good. Okay, that's just a side note. Keep that. That's your treasure for today, okay? Um, but with the Gibeonites, when they were tricked, what happened was this big mistake. God took the big mistake of not inquiring of him and turned it around for the good. Five Amorite kings said, hey, the Gibeonites are a royal city. They're a great city. They're not like that little uh, podunk town over there called I. This is Gibeon. How could they do this to us? They let us down. And they ganged up together against the Gibeonites. And then Joshua says, uh-uh. We're not going to abandon the Gibeonites. We made a treaty with them. We have to honor this. We're going to do what's right even though it hurts. Because they chose to do what they knew was right, God did a massive victory that day. In fact, it says that he, he shot down hail on the enemy and knocked them out. I mean, I want God fighting for me. Amen. Can you imagine being one of the soldiers? Why isn't the hell hitting me? It's just hitting the Amorites. Can you imagine standing there just done like, oh my God, he really is fighting for me. You know, just the wonder what God was speaking even in the midst of that miracle. Boy, bing, 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 five guys knocked down. You know, somebody's got a sword to your throat and a hailstone hits them in the head. You're like, amen. <laughs> you know, that's, but God took their big mistake 
and turn it into an amazing victory because they continue to do right through the difficulty. Amen? This is parallel to our Christian life. And there's lots of truths in the taking of the promised land that parallel with us. We as believers, when we enter into the new life, we come into salvation and we place our trust in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. He knocks out Jericho, the fortified city, and he takes us in and we've got somewhere to go. And this is just a sampling of what is, what is out there for you, what is part of Jesus' promised land for you. This is just a glimmer of it. I mean, you could go on for days with this because it even says he takes our weakness and makes it into his strength. Nobody else can do that. He says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours in Christ Jesus. Close your eyes for just a minute, please. Just to, Jesus said, and just think about this, that every, every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is mine in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing is mine in Christ Jesus. Okay, you can open your eyes. That's one to meditate on. I don't even know what all the blessings are in the heavenly realms. Every, not just 50%, not 60%, not 99.9%. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. That's one verse. Let me give you the verse so you can hang your hat on it, so you can believe it. It says this in Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Bank on it. Rest on it. Ask God for it. One time I asked God, why, why am I not getting good? You, you promised that I'd get good out of bad circumstances. You could turn it around. And you know what I felt in my heart? He said, you haven't asked for it. Oh, okay, God, please turn this situation around for my good. That easy. Please work it out. God, I don't know what every spiritual blessing is. I want to take possession of that one. I want your blessings. I want to take possession of it. Next one, Romans 8, 11. He said, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in my mortal body. Now, you may have taken part of this. Maybe part of it's in your life. You've taken possession of the part of the land. But there's more. I don't see anybody glowing here today like Moses, okay? I don't see anybody glowing like Jesus did up on top of the mountain. The resurrection power of Jesus is ours. And we want to possess it. We want to take it just like the people of Israel, okay? Took possession of the promised land. John 10.10 the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Can you close your eyes a minute? For, I'll close mine too. God, is my life today full of life? Am I experiencing abundant life? I have some of it, God. I know I have some of it. But is it the fullness of all the life that you died to give me? Please help me take possession of it. The, he wants you to be full. He doesn't want you to be back and forth and tossed to and fro. He wants you to have a full life. There are battles, and that's part of taking possession. But he has this life for us. 
Romans 14, 17, I'll end on this. But once again, the promised land of Jesus that he's promised us as believers, our inheritance, our gift, our promise in this day and age, still to this day, are these verses and more. This is just a glimmer of what he's died to give you. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Kevin alluded to this in his, in, uh, his communion, that our faith isn't just about doing the right thing and laws and all this stuff, even though there are things we do. The core and heart of our faith is knowing God. And in that, we experience righteousness. And if, you've, if you're new to the faith, righteousness simply means you're right with God. The issues are resolved. There's no conflict. There's no debate. You're at peace with him. You want to have righteousness. You're righteous with him. There's no arguments out there. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is yours. So the lady in my hometown who was walking around with miserable and a sad face all the time missed this verse. And the reason she didn't get into a greater life is lack of knowledge maybe. Lack of hope. Or a lie that was over her that like saints are always miserable and straight. You look at the stained glass windows and they all look like this. And you read the Bible and these are lively characters. Yeah, some of them are sinning and off track sometimes, but God brings them back. There's a whole plethora of wonderful characters. They're not all just like kind of like just all fitting in the same mold. They're unique. And God is saying basically the whole scripture, I love everybody. Look at the differences out here. Look at the differences in my Bible. Look at the weird people I've chosen to be mine. Really, you read it. There's weirdos, really strange people. Think of Samson. Think, I mean, I just read through Judges, and there's some weird things going on. And God loves them. God loves them. He's saying that. Your differences are beautiful in God's eyes. When you accept the fact that the differences and the callings that are unique in you were made by God, and he made you because he wants to bring that joy to his heart. He made you for his pleasure. That all the uniquenesses and all the little things Minus all the junk and corruption that's happened because of this wicked world. But the core of who you are, the wonder, even the weirdness that's in there, is God. He loves you. He wants you uniquely. You're different than everybody else. In a cram-packed city like London, sometimes we can lose sight of that. We just think people are people. But inside the core of each person you pass by on the street, including yourself, there's something uniquely woven together that God loves, and he wants fellowship with that. It's a beautiful thing. But... I'm off. Here we go. So you have a promised land. And I know we use the term that I'm on my spiritual journey. Yep. Kind of like this nice. And it's true. There's a journey. But there's more than a journey. It's a battle. Okay? It is a possessing of a land. You must know that you have a goal. You're not just floating through your spiritual life. Just ah, da, da, da. The word of God shows you and will speak to your heart. Oh, I want you to know my joy. I want you to know my fatherhood. I want you to know these gifts. I want you to know my every blessing in the spiritual realm. He will lead you into what he wants to show you in each season. There is a blessing, but there is a possessing of it. There's an activity. That says, There's something there and I want it. Now, if we back up for a bit, I'm going to take you back to the promised land. I, talked, I walked you all the way up to the Gibeonites and how God turned the, the bad into the good. Something else happened next in Israel that is worth noting. It starts getting mentioned in the back, at the end of Deuteronomy. It comes up in Joshua. And then it's also mentioned in the book of Judges. And it's this interesting thing called iron chariots. People start bringing this up in the scriptures as a threat. And what you'll see is in the couple of verses that I read quickly here, you'll see that 
the people of Israel were taking possession of the hill country. They were taking possession of some of the land, but they couldn't go down into the valleys or the plains because they had iron chariots. And in your mind, you have to realize the chariots had free access down in the plains. They had free access in the valley. So you step down the mountain, you're in somebody else's territory. There's an iron chariot there. Uh Uh-oh, we can't deal with them. They're, They're threatening. They're terrible. They can kill us. We don't have iron chariots. We can take care of the mountains. But hey, there's iron chariots. Now, I'm gonna have to speed this up very quickly. But before the people even left into the promised land, God in his merciful kindness prepared them for this. In Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, it says, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, no small thing. Once you drink of the word of God, you realize this is an important promise. This is not just words. The Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So he warns them. He tells them, you're going to face chariots. Don't be afraid. Zoom forward to um, Joshua chapter 17 really quickly. Joshua's in charge. His own family members come to him and say, hey, we got a problem here. Not enough land for us. And listen to what they say. In Joshua 17, verses 16, the people of Joseph, which were Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, in the hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have iron chariots. Oh, we need more land. We, but look what his, his own family rebukes him. No, 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 no. At the end of this, and I won't go into it all, but in the end of verse 18, it says... But the hill country shall be yours. Though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it. This is brother talking to brother. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. So he's telling his own family, "Uh -uh -uh -uh. don't give yourself an excuse. No, you're going to clear the forest. You're going to possess it to the farthest borders. You shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and though they are strong. Don't listen to the iron chariots. Don't watch those. In the New Testament, it calls these things strongholds, things that are threatening, intimidating, telling you, yes, it says it in the Bible, but you know your history. You know you've been trapped in this. You know your brother is really good at this, but you never will be. You know that this person loves easily, but love will never be something you flow in. Lies, intimidation, threat. The New Testament also calls it the roar of a lion. He does not want you to take possession of these things. If you begin to take possession of these things, the glory of the Lord will begin to show out, shine on you brighter and brighter. And there's no telling how many people will come into the kingdom because people are watching your life. He is intimidated by you because you have all this before you. And so he's doing his best to tell you, no, it might say it in the Bible. Might have been forgiven of those sins but it's still the pattern of your life. Look how you treated this person. Look how you did this. Look how you did that. You're never going to be anything more than you were. Lies. Call them what they are. Lies. Threats. Intimidation. Keeping you from what Christ died for. Judges 119. Right in the beginning of Judges, it says, and the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had, oh, don't say it, don't say it, iron chariots. You're not supposed to say anything. Iron chariots. 
okay? Judges 4.3. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now that was, the, um, I forget, the Midianites. And this is the time of Deborah. Uh, you, know, you know the story in the Old Testament where she, uh, J.L. comes and puts a spike in the man's head. It's kind of gory bit of Judges, a lot of gory stuff. If you like a novel, read Judges. It's good stuff. Um, but what's interesting here is that the big fear is iron chariots. They not only have iron chariots, they have 900 of them. 900 chariots. Can you imagine? Not wooden chariots. Not wooden. Iron chariots. And it might seem funny to us today. But to them, this was a big deal. This is holding us back. We can't do this thing. And then God raises up a woman, Deborah, to go and talk to a guy and say, hey, didn't the Lord tell you you were supposed to do this? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But I ain't going without you. <laughs> Just hold my hand. No. Um, you know, it's like it, God is raising up people to go against this. And then that day, in one single day, 900 chariots are obliterated, and the army of the Midianites is wiped out. What's interesting is you never hear any talk of the iron chariots again. It's done. Oh, Deborah, she took care of the chariots. We don't have to worry about chariots anymore. The next generation, ah, chariots, okay. God's done this before. We can handle chariots. Chariots won't keep us from our possession. That's the beauty of testimonies. You hear somebody else, oh, they took care of that iron chariot. Wow, they had that up against their life? And look what God, there's no way that person's this person anymore. Do you know, I know a woman who um, God one time spoke to her heart and said, you lie to your husband. And she said, I do not lie. I just kind of twist the truth. I didn't spend $50. I only spent 25 plus at the store. You know, she, she had all these little things. And God said, you may not lie anymore. And she was in the middle of a lie one day. And she said, that's not true. <laughs> and then she started blurting out all this truth. And her husband's like, what on earth has come over you? <laughs> but it purified her heart. It was a battle. Her taking possession of truth. Her, her taking possession of part of the life of Christ. It's completely weird. But it was beautiful at the same time. And her heart gets cleaner. And she's not lying. And she's breaking the pattern that the enemy set in her life. And she has to lie all the time. No. That's just one example of how we can take possession. But I don't have time to finish this. There's much more to say. Um, but let me finish with this. While I was on um, our holiday, I watched a special on BBC. And it happened to do with um, domestic violence during the lockdown. And sadly, the New York Times reported that during the lockdown, from the beginning of the lockdown to July 2nd, there was 26 murders of women and children Okay, or women, and also eight men were killed by their partners, suspected. Um, it was a terrible time, and it wasn't just in England. It was a global problem. It was globally. People are forced into houses together. Some of them already had restraining orders against each other, and they were forced to live together after there was already an injunction. Can you imagine? God bless them. If you faced any type of abuse like that, please, God, we'd love to pray for you. God, it was, it was really hard on some people. Some of us didn't have it so. Some people even delighted in having their kids home. I, go figure. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but if you had difficulties during the lockdown, let's get some prayer for that. Let's not hide that up. But 
as I was watching this special on BBC, I thought, what would make these people stay? They could easily have something better if they walked away, almost like the promised land. Why do they stay in this position of being beat up and threatened by iron chariots saying, no, you can't have what's yours, when there's easily something better? And you can quickly think, well, they could kill me. Life could get a whole lot worse. I could get dragged into court day after day. This could get miserable. Fear, intimidation, all these things help hold them back. They even said in one article that just because the plethora of garbage that spewed out on their life day after day, they don't even feel they're worthy of anything better. You know, that really parallels us. In fact, one article I found stated four factors that would help women come out of domestic abuse and violence. And I see that these parallel and may help you today see what thoughts may help you come out of a life that is not progressing in Christ or taking possession of things that are yours. What will help you hope for a life that's better? Jesus has given it all. How do you possess it now? Listen to these. And this is in Psychology Today. It was an article published in February 2020. One, facing reality. Really saying, hey, God's got something better for me. One woman said in this article, I learned that abuse was a word for what I was going through. Once I knew that, I knew better. Hey, this isn't normal. This isn't what the Bible says my life's supposed to be. So why am I over here if the Bible's saying this? I'm not having joy. This isn't normal. When we say to our soul, there's something more. Two, accepting support. One person said, and this is in a, in a secular publication. I love this one. Somebody said, because someone repeatedly told me I deserve better. Help them accept support. And you know what they said at the end of their statement? Thank you, Scripture. That was one thing somebody stated in an in in international publication that helped them out of domestic abuse. The Scriptures. Something told me again and again that I deserve better. Thank you, Scripture. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. There's a glorious testimony in the middle of a secular publication for the glory of God. Two, another person in the same thing said, I felt a nudge from God when the abuser had a gun to my head. And I heard, do not be afraid. The next day I left. Amen? Testimonies. And, and, yeah. I finally told my family and admitted that I needed help. If you realize there's a, life, a part in your life that you're not taking possession of, a gift that God has given you, a part of your possession, part of your inheritance that you're not taking possession of, get help. Talk to a friend. Say, hey, this isn't normal, but I need help. I know and I believe that Jesus has said this is mine, but I want it. Help, pray. This takes vulnerability and humbleness. So we need this, but it's the way we possess the land. It is battling to take possession. Another one was when people realized that their children were danger. And I won't go into all the quotes there, but... People are watching your life. People are watching us. And as the glory of God comes upon us and as we take possession, people say, oh, that's what the life of God is all about. I think I want that. But if we live where we're at, people maybe only see a glimmer of what God has for them. Amen? Next one. And final one, factor four. And this is the saddest of them all. Fear and exhaustion. Listen to these quotes. One woman said, I was tired of being afraid of the person I slept to every night. One wrote, well, another needed, oh, another one wrote, someone reminded me that living in fear isn't normal. And then last of all, I was filled with so much anxiety, I had stomach issues, panic attacks, 
and I was on the verge of insanity. There's a place in Jesus' parables that said that the young man who left his family in the story of the prodigal son, one day, after spending everything he had and wasting it on this life, came and was looking at pig feed, and he thought, oh, I wish I could have some of that. Oh, surely my father has something better. Sometimes in our lives, we come to such a place of exhaustion that these abusing thoughts come, and you have to call them abuse. You have to call them lies. You have to call them threats and intimidation. They're not truth. Don't agree with them. No, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. No, I have every blessing in the, in, the, in the spiritual realm. No, I'm supposed to have an abundant life. There's supposed to be a fullness inside of me. Even if everything doesn't look and feel great because I've got battles, I should have joy that there's meaning and purpose to my life and I'm taking hold of something because Jesus got it for me. That there's a fight because fear and exhaustion takes over. I can't do this anymore. And in this, we turn to him. But we have to do these things. Admit that you're being abused that you have better things ahead of you. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.